My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus again in reply spoke to the chief priests and elders of the people in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He dispatched his servants to summon the invited guests to the feast, but they refused to come. Second time, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those invited, Behold, I have prepared my banquet. My calves and fattened cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. Some ignored the invitation and went away. One to his farm, another to his business. The rest laid hold of his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged and sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy to come. Go out, therefore, to the main roads, and invite to the feast whomever you find. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all they found, bad and good alike, and the hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he saw a man there not dressed in a wedding garment. The king said to him, My friend, how is it that you came in here without a wedding garment. But he was reduced to silence. Then the king said to his attendants, bind his hands and feet and cast them into the darkness outside where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Many are invited, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. It's been hard to keep up on a daily basis with current events. What's the saying? There are decades where nothing happens and weeks where decades happen. Things that in quieter times would have definitely registered much more attention and certainly more follow-up a few years ago seem quickly forgotten in our quick news cycle. Like this unnerving story that made headlines in late September. The United States military was asking for the public's help in locating a missing F-35 fighter jet. Seeing and hearing that nobody knew where a military aircraft costing over $100 million was sent people into a bit of a panic. Even when details came out a few days later that the pilot had ejected from the plane, 60 minutes later, the plane had crashed into a wooded area in South Carolina, which was finally discovered, and that the entire matter was under investigation, didn't quite make people feel better about the whole situation. For the most part, we can all understand when accidents happen, and we know from personal experience that people will make mistakes from time to time. 
But when it's something massive like this, you can't help but wonder if it's laziness or sloppiness or incompetence on multiple levels, where there's this perceived dereliction of duty that infuriates people, which is not just something that's true with the military. That's just a notable recent example that came to mind. Think about the difference in reactions in hearing a story about a school bus driver who's involved in the car accident as opposed to a school bus driver who didn't notice a child was asleep in the bus and left the child unattended for hours in the parking lot. Those are both serious things that have happened that rightly cause great concern. But in the one instance, we see something that may or may not have been avoidable, while the other, there's a willfulness that rightly upsets people. It's that type of neglect, that casualness about responsibilities, that dereliction of duty that we need to remember when reflecting on this Jesus' parable in today's gospel. Because on its own, this story would be hard to make sense of. The whole thing about this wedding seems unfair or unreasonable. We can get put off by so many of the details and just dismiss it outright. Particularly when the other readings for today started out so beautifully. The first reading, the prophet Isaiah has this vision from God that foresees a day when the Lord of hosts is going to provide for all his people describing it as this amazingly significant feast that starts out with rich food, choice wines, but then it unfolds to tell something of far more critical value, death being destroyed forever, the tears being wiped from every face. We moved from that to praying what is for many the most beloved of Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, Refreshing, or in other translation, renewing my soul. Guiding me in right paths. Spreading a table before us. We heard of these generous, merciful, loving, and consequential offerings extended from God to humanity in these scriptures. Which makes this gospel of this wedding nightmare that Jesus describes so jarring. So what's going on? Well, up to this point in the gospel of Matthew... Everything that Isaiah had envisioned, everything that David had hoped for in writing that psalm about the Lord being my shepherd, the people had finally begun to experience. Jesus, fully God, fully man, was fulfilling all his promises made throughout the scriptures. The people had been hearing and seeing and experiencing for themselves example after example where the most tragic the seemingly impossible situations being miraculously attended to. The blind having their sight restored, the deaf being able to hear, lepers being cleansed. To those who had been enslaved to sin or tormented and even possessed by the devil, experiencing absolute liberation. To even more spectacular things like those who died a physical death being brought back to life. All that have been happening. At this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has entered Jerusalem on what we know as, good, as Palm Sunday and found himself in the temple region. So the crowds reflecting on all the wondrous things that they had seen and heard and experienced were calling him Messiah. Excited, they're 
cutting the palm branches down and they're cheering Hosanna as Jesus comes to Jerusalem. But not everyone's joining in the celebration. The chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees were far less impressed, questioning where he was from, who gave him this authority to teach and to do the things that he did. And in response to those things, Jesus is launched into these three parables that we've encountered the last three Sundays. Two weeks ago was the two sons whose father asked him to go into the vineyard. One who said no, but then did. The other who said yes and never went. Then last week, the parable of the tenants on the vineyard who, in their arrogance and their delusions, convinced themselves that they were entitled to all the benefits of the vineyard and didn't owe the, the owner anything even though it was none of theirs to begin with. That brings us to today's parable about the king's son and this wedding. People not showing up for the king's son's wedding feast because they're disinterested, they're keeping other options open, whatever. That would not go over well even in our day and age, especially with the cost per plate for a wedding. But then when we hear of this violence being leveled towards those who are following up on the, that RSVP, it's countered with even more explosive reaction from the king, ordering killings and burning down their city. You could say that the reactions have escalated quite a bit. And then you had this poor schmo who wasn't on the A list or the B list even. He's on the J, K, or L list. He comes, maybe he's thinking he's doing the king a favor by showing up and filling in some of these empty tables. And the king gets ticked off at him for not having the right clothes on. For real? It sounds ridiculous. But that's where we have to remember that this parable is an allegory for something greater. The king is God the Father. The wedding banquet is the feast celebrating God saving his people. And Jesus is the bridegroom. When Jesus had entered into Jerusalem, that was the sign. Everything is ready. Come to the feast. And the reactions we hear of ignoring, going away to a farm, returning to ordinary life, to mistreating and killing the messengers, those are describing the reactions of indifference, arrogant dismissal, to those who were outright conspiring trying to stop Jesus, the religious leaders. They were the ones who were supposedly carefully studying scripture. They were the ones who were said to have been praying for this feast. They were the ones responsible for preparing everyone for this very day. And they're the most blind and oblivious to what's in front of them. That's what's behind Jesus' frustration in this parable. And even as he's saying the parable, he's still offering those who failed so pitifully another chance to, be, to recover from this, this dereliction of duty. But needless to say, the feast is going to commence with or without them. As for the guy without the, the proper wedding garment, on the surface it seems another overreaction. But even in our increasingly super relaxed, casual world, certain expectations still exist. A student showing up to class in a bathrobe and slippers would be seen as being disrespectful to the teacher and the class. A person's attire is important in how they present themselves. 
So the guy in the parable not honoring this invitation by being dressed appropriately is being ungrateful and disrespectful. Jesus adding this character to the story was meant for the rest of the crowds. He's pointing out that, yeah, it's bad that those who were expected to accept Jesus didn't, but that doesn't mean that there weren't standards and expectations for those who do end up coming. Too many church leaders in our day and age want to sing a song and put up a banner saying, all are welcome. But Jesus is making it clear, that's not enough. His invitation doesn't mean come on your own terms. It's not like come in and do whatever you like. When beginning his mission, Jesus starts with the very direct words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven at hand is great news. That's the hope and fulfillment of the entire scripture. But too often we bypass that first word of repent. What's implicit in that invitation to all who are welcome is to see how messed up the world is, how something great is lacking in our own lives. In becoming Christians, we put on Christ, meaning we decided to conduct our lives as he would want us to, selflessly, sacrificially rejecting anyone and anything that would be an obstacle to that mission. There's a great Christian author and speaker named Francis Chan who once said something that came to mind. He said, the core problem isn't the fact that we're lukewarm, half-hearted, or stagnant Christians. The crux of it all is, why are we this way? And it's because we have an inaccurate view of God. We see him as a benevolent being who's satisfied when, when people manage to fit him into their lives in some small way. We forget that God never had an identity crisis. He knows that he's great, and he deserves to be the center of our lives. There's a lot of truth in that. We're not perfect. We're sinners. We know God is loving and merciful, and we know that we need that. The difference between being the one who has the wedding garment or not is how we respond to those realities. How much are we actively trying to live a Christian life? Do we simply presume God's mercy? Or do we humble ourselves and go to confession and receive Jesus' absolution? May you and I, who have received Jesus' invitation, realize how precious a gift that truly is and be among those who are chosen.